Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. All right, are you ready for the Word today? Stand to your feet. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel 23. And I'm going to finish up the series today on secrets to success as we've been looking at David's mighty men. How many enjoyed the series? Let me know so I'll preach something like that again. Amen. So I thank you for your encouragement. Uh, it's been a leadership teaching of, of us to how to do more for the Lord in 24 and, and to, uh, you know, serve him. So we've been looking at these awesome warriors of David who were underdogs and they went from underdogs to overcomers. And we've been just learning some things from them. And uh, we're going to finish up today by talking about one of my favorite guys, Beniah, which some translations call him Beniah, not Benihana. Beniah, and this is one of the baddest dudes ever, man. Not only is this like just for men, but this is uh, for all people uh, to get something out of this. But this has really got a lot. When I first got saved, young man, this really attracted me to King David and his men is because, you know, they're, they're uh, tough warriors, even Jesus. Uh, you know, I don't know what your image is of Jesus. He wasn't running through the field with a flower in his hair, and, you know, he wasn't running and hiding from people. He was flipping over tables, and he was challenging the establishment, and he had something about him that caused 12 grown men to leave their businesses and follow this guy. It's hard to get men to follow anybody. I'm not picking on you. I'm a man. I know what it is. We, it's hard to get men to follow someone, but for these men to just drop everything and follow this Jesus tells you something about his character. But yet he was gentle enough to sit down with a woman who's been married five times and was living with number six and to make a special trip just to tell her about the love of God. That's the Jesus we serve. He's, he's mercy and truth. You've got to have both of them, even as a believer. If you've got mercy and no truth, it's meaningless. If you've got truth and no mercy, you're just mean. And there's a lot of mean Christians in the church today. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You need some mercy and some truth. Jesus was full of mercy, and he was full of truth. And we need two of those, both of those working in the life of a believer. David's mighty warriors teach us a lot of great things, and here we're bringing it to a close as he highlights a story about these three of the top 30 and then Benaiah. And I'm going to try to get to both of them today. These could easily be two separate messages, but i got to cram them in and finish it up today in Jesus' name. 2 Samuel 23, verse 13. You ready? Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and, be, and came to David at the cave of Adullam. So David is still in this cave running from his mentor who turned on him. And he's got an army there with him. And the troop of Philistines, that's the enemy, encamped in the valley of Raphaim. David was then in a stronghold. He was hiding out in a special cave there. And the garrison of the Philistines, that's like a platoon, was then in Bethlehem. Okay, so he's painting a little scene, a picture for us. And then David, he said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem. He's homesick. 
and he's thinking about his hometown and he's sitting in this cave and he's been in this battle and he's tired and he's just missing home and he just says off the cuff, man, I wish I had a drink of that cold water that we had back at home in the well of Bethlehem. He's just talking. And then it says, verse 16, so the three mighty men, this is Adino, this is Eleazar, and this is Shammah, these three tough guys that we done looked at, these three, they took all of their resources, all of their skills, and look what they did. They broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they took it and brought it back to David. Nevertheless, I don't know, some, of, some people might get upset at this if I, you did this, but David would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. That's got to be kind of funny in the same time. These people risked their lives, and he says, Thank you, but he pours it out, but it's very serious at what he did. And he says, nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went to jeopardy and jeopardized or risked their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Now look at verse 20 as we finish up with Beniah. Just going to read this couple verses here. Beniah was the son of Jehoda, the son of a valiant warrior. So he's the son of a warrior. His father was a warrior. Now he's a warrior who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. Moab was another uh, very vicious people that was attacking Israel. And they had two uh, heroes, and this guy took them both down. But look at this. He also had gone down and he killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. That's just the coolest story ever. I was praying for some snow today. They really fit the scene. Guy, use your imagination when you read the word. So I'm going to explain why he killed a lion in the first place. But are you ready to pray today? We learn, from, we learn from Adino how to face overwhelming odds. We, we learn from Eleazar how to overcome weariness. We, Shama has taught us to be faithful with the few. All of this series and all of these men, I want to bring it today and talk about how to awaken your great faith. That's what I want to talk about is that how to awaken the greatness in you. Look at the person next to you, if they're friendly looking, and say, it's, it's time that God awakens the greatness in you. Go ahead. It. Amen. So, Father, we thank you today for your word that you have preserved over thousands of years to hear. Not just a, a list of warriors, but God, to use them in a way, practical ways that, that we can overcome in our lives and have victory in our lives. I pray, oh, Father, that you anoint me today. Let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing unto you, oh, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated today. Hallelujah. So I was thinking of this today. In our culture, we've got this term called the greatest of all time, right? Goat. The greatest of all time. Who do you think is the greatest of all time? Well, it depends on how old you were and and what you're thinking about. If you asked me when I was six years old, I would tell you the greatest of all time is our ice cream truck that comes through the neighborhood every summer. And the greatest ice cream of all time, I don't know about you, but mine was strawberry shortcake. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. Remember the ice cream trucks? I mean, or if you didn't have the money to get that, which was, you know, a dollar, that's a lot of money back then. We, you got the 25 cent little popsicles or the screwball with the gum in the bottom. So... But strawberry shortcake was probably my favorite. But as you get older in life, you know, ice cream is still awesome, but it's not, you start learning 
different things and more that are more important than ice cream and like in sports, right? So the greatest of all time, the GOAT basketball would be who? Okay, pretty, pretty unanimous. Michael Jordan, right. And the greatest football player ever running back was the GOAT greatest of all time, Detroit Lions, Barry Sanders. I mean, that's right, right? I mean, you guys, you guys know this, right? So anyway, let me just keep going with this. As you get older in life, if you ask me today, like, who do I think is great? Like when you, someone says, man, that person is great or they're great, like what comes to your mind now? To me, honestly, Seriously, I think the greatest of all time to me is, is like your first responders, right? Your first responders are soldiers, um, things like that. And you never forget what happened when we see things like 9-11 that took place. And I think we all got a front row seat to when the terrorist attacks hit those buildings and buildings begin to fall. We knew what firefighters were and did, but we really all of us got a front row seat as how serious that job is and what kind of men and women it takes to be first responders, right? I mean, everyone's running away from the building and here are these guys, New York's fire department was running into the building. I mean, when you get older, you start looking at things like that and you go, that's amazing. I mean, we just saw it again here with the parade that the Kansas City Chiefs uh, put on the parade because they were Super Bowl champs. And at the end of the parade, you probably saw it on the news, there was a shooting and just some idiots and evil people with guns just begin to just shoot people. And one of the bystanders stood up and tackled one of them. I mean, he, I mean, he just tackled a guy. But I'll never forget that scene just a couple days ago. Here it is again. There's shots are ringing out and people are running out of this building. And all you see is dozens of these police officers running toward the bullets. I mean, as you get older, you start looking at stuff like that. And you go, man, that's amazing. Well, here's the thing. If you're going to read 2 Samuel chapter 23 and you read about these warriors and, and you start reading about people in the Bible that, that made uh, great significant differences. And you, you have to understand like the mind of these people, like what drives these people to go against their natural instinct, which is to run from danger. But they somehow are able to overcome that, that fight and flight thing, and to go for fight when everything inside of them is saying, you better run. What, what, what makes people do that? And this is why I'm preaching this, and I want to bring it into spiritual things. I also believe that if you are a follower of God, that you have faith. If you have faith, and if you're a follower of God, you do have faith, because it takes faith to believe in God. And faith is believing in what you can't see. But if you've got faith to believe in Jesus, I believe you also have the potential to go from just believing in God, having faith, to having great faith and being used by God. I believe every person, no matter how old you are, how young you are, what kind of situation you are in, single mom, grandparent, I, if you are a follower of God, I, I hope you've been getting these messages. And when you read stories like this, you can still find something that you can relate to. And I'm telling you today that it's great faith that God wants all of us to be used by him to do great things. The Bible says them that know their God, them that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Exploits is those things that are extraordinary, like running into a building. You look through the Bible, you will find over and over again ordinary people that were used by God to do extraordinary things. 
And I think it's in all of us. I know it's in all of us. And I just want today to just give you a couple of things that will awaken that in you. That will awaken that in you. This is the beginning of the year. I I don't want us to just copy and paste 2023 into 2024. And if you you don't want to either, this is a message for you. If you're a risk taker, this is a story for you. Which, by the way, I got to say, don't jump into a a pit with a lion. Okay, we'll explain that here in just a moment. But stories like this, if you're a risk taker, you really like it. You really can relate to it. If not, maybe you're like the other group of people that like to just eat popcorn and watch. <laughs> Amen. I'll watch you jump out of a plane. Amen. But I, I hope that you will still see that God can use you to push the limits and to do something great. So that's, that's where I'm going with this series. And so I know our life groups meet and they pack, unpack these messages if you're in a going deeper uh, life group. So I wanted to give you some points here today. So I'm going to give you two statements about great faith. Two statements about great faith, and then I'm going to show you how to awaken great faith. Because I believe God wants to awaken great faith in all of us. He wants us to move from having faith, which you all have if you're a follower of God. Awaken that in you to, be, uh, to have great faith and to see great things happen in your life. How many want to be used by God to do great things? And by the way, great things may not be save the whole world. Your great thing may make sure that your kids are going to walk in faith with the Lord. That's a great and mighty thing. A great thing may be having a healthy marriage. That's the greatest gift you can give to your kids is a healthy marriage. So winning is not always jumping in a pit with a physical 500-pound lion. The greatness that God wants to use you is to witness to a coworker, is to start living for the Lord at work. Yeah, I mean, I mean, these kind of things is, is where it begins. And if you've already done them, then God wants to start elevating us and taking us to another level. So that's what this whole series is very challenging, I know. But that's what the Word of God does. Amen? So two statements. The first statement is this. Great faith takes great risks for others. Why don't you write that down? That faith involves risk. Faith is risk. But great faith is when we're willing to take great risks for others. That first story I read to you with the three mighty men. David is just homesick. He's sitting in the cave and he's, he's thinking, man, I'm so tired of the battle. I'm, so, I'm becoming weary. I'm just tired. How many of you ever got tired from the, from the worry or from the journey? From, yeah, that's normal. We talked about that an entire week a few weeks ago. So David just says off the cup, man, I'm thirsty. And these three mighty warriors took all of their resources. They broke through the enemy's line, risked their lives to bring him water. What's that message to us? That message to us is what are we willing to risk? What are we able to break through and risk so we can bring the water of God to a thirsty and dying world? What are we willing to risk? That God, that we're saying, God, I believe this so much that I'm willing to risk anything, God, or whatever, to bring the river of God to a thirsty generation. That's how we relate to that. Faith involves risk. Now, some Christians, they like to play it safe. They like to have safe Christianity where, you know, no one, it doesn't demand a lot of commitment. And, you know, a lot of people don't really know my my religion is very private. And, you know, if you're that type of person, this this is going to really challenge you because I I got news for you. Nobody in the scripture that had faith in God lived a very, kept it to themselves. No one ever kept it to themselves. Jesus hung on a cross publicly in front of everybody because he loves you that much. 
And Jesus said this, if we're willing to deny him in front of our friends, he will deny us in front of his father. Come on, somebody. That would have challenged you. That will move you. But it's, if you've got faith, you already know about taking risks. I mean, everything we do for God, you know, living by faith does take risks. There's a risk involved in serving the Lord. I mean, we, we can't really see God, but we can see his attributes. We can see, you know, Romans tells us by the things that were created and his eternal power being understood by the things that are made. God is clearly seen so that men are without excuse. In other words, we can look at nature and tell if there's a design, there has to be a designer. So we know that God exists. And so if you got faith, you know, in God, you already take risk. You take risk in your life and in everything else. But when you begin to step in that next level and you're taking a risk and saying, I'm going to go public with my faith. I'm going to start leading my family. I'm going to start praying at home. I'm, I'm going to start, you know, being a a little bit more vocal about my faith. You've got to be all preaching and run around all over the place, but just live the life uh, out loud, as they say, and start making Jesus famous in your circle. That's going to take you some risk. That's going to involve some risk. I remember the, the first time I wore a Christian t-shirt in public. That, that was a big deal for me. I was like, I remember being at Target, you know, I, I put on, Wednesdays used to be Christian t-shirt day. I don't know if we still do it, but for years, Wednesdays was like Christian t-shirt day. It was like a unsaid rule across America in the 80s and 90s. And, and so it was real popular when we got saved at the end of the 90s and our pastor was saying, and we, everybody, our, I don't know, so we just, I got me a Christian t-shirt, you know, and I remember putting it on and I was so embarrassed to put on a t-shirt like that and just this, how much pride I had anyway. So, and I remember I put a jacket on just in case. And uh, I remember going, we were at Target or in the, in the mall and there was a family that came up, young family, it was a mom and some girls, I was with my family and, and I was just walking, I forgot about it actually and. I never forget the, the mom stopped with her whole family and goes, look at that shirt. And I said, oh my gosh, I just got so embarrassed. I forgot I had it on. And, and her teenage girls were looking at stuff and she goes, that is awesome. I just love that shirt. And the other girl said, yeah, where'd you get that from? And I was like, there's more of us out here. Amen. <laughs> I was like, you like that shirt? Let me tell you about it. It's Ephesians 4. I mean, little stuff like that, which by the way, encouragement goes a long way. But little stuff, I know how it is to lift your hands in church, all of that. But I'm, I'm talking about let's go to that next level, guys. Let, let God wants to use us in greater ways. And let's do something different this year. Let, let's step up in our faith. And when we begin to do something for someone else, that's when you start seeing you go from having faith when it becomes just personal to great faith. Jesus used the term great faith only twice in the New Testament. He was healing people, and he, he was talking about faith. He taught on faith. But there was only twice that he said, these people have great faith. And both times, it was the satyrian and it was the Syrophoenician mother. Both of them were non-Jews. They were Gentiles. And in that day, it was a, there was a segregation or racial uh, segregation climate and culture where no one spoke to the Jewish people that wasn't a Jew. You uh, certainly didn't uh, approach a holy man like Jesus, which was a rabbi, uh, without being announced and formally and all of that. But Jesus didn't go by all of that. Jesus was breaking barriers from day one. And so both of these people were Gentiles and they came to Jesus. And, but here's the point. Both of them that Jesus said you had great faith were asking for a miracle on the behalf of someone else that couldn't make it to Jesus. That's what I want you to see. You ever notice that? That is the 
whole point of why Jesus said, what great faith this man, satirian guy said, Jesus don't even come to my house, for I understand authority. I'm a man of authority. I, I have a troop of uh, uh, soldiers that follow my command. I understand it. I get it. And I know that if you just say the word, you got the authority in the heavens that would heal my servant. So don't even have to come into my house. I mean, just say the word. He's sick. He can't come. And he's risking everything to step into that circle of the Jewish rabbi of the people. But yet he took that risk on behalf of a centurion. Syrophoenician woman, the same way she had a daughter that was sick and she came and said, Jesus, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus said something that would offend everybody here. He said, what I have is not fit for the dogs. Sometimes God will offend your mind to see what's really in your heart. How bad do you want it? I mean, how bad do you want the things of God? Jesus never walked up to somebody and, and just said, you know, I'm, I'm, and gave them what they wanted without them asking for him. He always wants to hear, and how much do you want it? There's something about seeking God that we've lost a lot of that in our culture, but you gain so much strength in your spirit when you seek God. When you just learn to seek him, there's strength in the seeking. That's why God doesn't give us everything we want all the time. If you walked into a gym first day in January and you got rid of 40 pounds by lifting door, d- d- dumbbells one time, you would be like, yeah, you what? You'd never go back and go right back to Twinkies every night, every day. Amen? All of us would. But no, you got to earn those gains. Come on, somebody. Where's Tomas at, our fitness trainer? He's got to earn those gains. You gotta, he'll tell you no pain, no gain. You got to earn them gains. It's not that you got to earn things for God, but the Bible says that if you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. James says those who draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So he's not in heaven saying, let's make a deal. He's in heaven saying, this is the deal. I done came to you. I gave you my best, my son, who lived for 33 and a half years and loved you and taught for you and died for you. I'm just wondering if there's anybody on planet earth that wants this enough that would just say, turn to me with your heart. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm just asking you to want to seek my face. Hallelujah. And that's what both of these people did, the centurion mother. And after she, Jesus said that about the crumbs and the dog, or the, the food given to the dogs, what did she say? She didn't get offended. She said, but Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. And his disciples was like, whoa. And he stopped and he said, look here, boys. Jesus knew she was going to respond that way. He looked and he called her woman, which was a, a, a term of endearment. Being a Gentile woman like that, that he was already breaking so much stuff in there. And he says, your daughter has been made well, for I haven't seen such great faith. Your great faith. You're willing to take a risk for somebody else. And I'm going to award that to you today. Life of missionaries. I can go on and on and on. You feel discouraged? Just read some of these books about how missionaries have given their lives overseas. We went on our mission trip to South Africa just a month or so ago. It was awesome. What, what I love about being around the missionaries is you get to go and you get to see them. These guys didn't just go on a trip and come home. They've been over there for 20-some years. And, and Charles is the guy, we, the missionary, him and his wife, we were with them in South Africa. And he's just ordinary people. He's a guy from Alabama, him and his wife. 
His dad was a carpenter. And he tells this story how he would get home from school and his dad would, help, would have him help him in his uh, carpentry work. And when he was eight years old, his dad told him, go behind the house. I need you to pull the nails out of those boards, son. But this little eight-year-old boy had been going to church. He's been going to Wednesday night. He was a Royal Ranger. He was going to services and coming to church. And he already began to feel the you know, awakening to God a little bit. But he's eight years old. And he tells the story when he was pulling out the nails of that board, the Spirit of God came upon him out of nowhere and said, you're going to build churches in South Africa. That's how he was called to the ministry. That's why I say it is so important to bring our kids into these ministries and expose them to God. But it takes risk to do that. It takes us, you know, saying no to certain overtimes or saying no to this and work overtime so we can send our kids to camp. I mean, we help you send them. But I mean, these are risks that God's really placed in my heart. We're living in a day that when our kids, especially parents, if you've got little kids, listen to me for a moment. If you've got little ones, by the time they become teenagers, you know how potentially tough it's going to be to live for the Lord when they're teenagers another, another 15 years from now. And if we don't take this stuff seriously and, and make sure a spiritual foundation is formed in them, they're not going to stand a chance. But it takes, it takes a risk and it takes great faith for mom and dad. I know how it is having two little ones when we got saved. Our girls were tiny and working hard and Wednesdays and coming in and sitting there. And I was so tired, falling asleep, sitting in the back, man, so we can leave early because I had to get up at 3.30 in the morning. But I wanted my kids in there. I wanted them in, hearing the word of God. But I didn't stop there. When I was at home, I made sure they saw me read my Bible. And I wasn't doing it for a show. It was what I, was, I was hungry for God. And here's the thing. You don't have to be a theologian or a pastor. I'm not saying anybody needs to be a pastor. Just love God and seek him. It's funny how that just translates and spills right over to our kids. Even if they would walk away when they get older, those seeds are in their lives and in their hearts. And God just has a way of saying, my word will not return unto me void. And he has a way of putting people into their lives that they work with, that they go to college with, or somewhere else in their life, a circle. And God will bring somebody who's one of his that is willing to have great faith and will speak the word and water those seeds and you watch them get saved. So great faith maybe be for some of you to start, you know, living it a little bit more at work. Or if you're already living, they know you're a Christian, that's awesome. Let's take it a little bit further. Begin to share your faith with someone. Join a ministry team. <laughs> it takes great risks. You move from my faith is just personal to start doing that. Great risk. All of these warriors were fighting the Philistines. Shama was fighting for a little field of lentils. As I told you last week, he didn't love lentils. It wasn't, no one loves lentils. This guy risked his life because to him, it wasn't lentils. To him, it was feeding him and his family and his community, and it was given to him by God. But in order to defend it, he had to be willing to take a risk. What are you willing to take a risk when it comes to your faith? Do we even hear the thirsty? That's another part of the message I don't got time to really get into because 30-some people, warriors, heard David say that. But these three had an ear. Sometimes it's hard for us to hear the voice of the thirsty in the generation because we're so easy to judge him. Come on, somebody. It's so easy to judge him. Well, I ain't getting your water. Get your own water. You're the one that's been running, running us around here in these caves. No wonder you're thirsty. You go get it. That's how many of us would act. You got yourself into that addiction. So why do you want me to get you out? You got yourself into that situation. So what do you want me to do? And I have to fight that because that is so true. Many of us have. 
But I tell you what, when I was battling my addiction and I was living in the streets of Ecorse and I was in my early 20s and I couldn't quit those habits and I was in addiction, I can tell you and I tell you all the time, God just, he intentionally put people right in my path, right at the right time to tell me, hey, God, hey, Eddie, good to see you. It's funny how I ran into you here. And said, hey, man, what are you doing here? You know, outside at 1130 at night, and we're leaving this house to go to another party or whatever, run into guys like Pastor Johnny Sands, who just happened to have his kid moving in across the street from where we were doing a drug house at. And he just happens to be at the bottom of the steps as me and my friend goes out, and we look at him, and I said, whoa, you don't want to see a preacher when you're not sober. And there he was, and I love him. He turned right around, and he didn't go, look at you. What a failure. He looked at he said, hey, Eddie, so good to see you, man. And my friend goes, who's this? And I said, huh? He gave me a hug, man. He's going to hug you? I said, yeah, give me a hug. And he, he began to, I said, what are you doing here? He said, my, my family lives. I'm moving in my, uh, I forget who it was. And then he just began to say, you know, God has a plan for your life, Eddie. I, I'm going to start praying for you. Is that okay if I pray for you? I'm like, yeah. God has a plan for you. And he's just speaking life into me like that. That's awesome. I'm telling you, God used those encounters for me to give my life to the Lord. Secondly, I got to go on. Spend too much time on these. Second one is great faith looks foolish to others. Great faith will take risks, but great faith also will look foolish sometimes to the very people you're trying to save. The very people that you are risking your life for, they don't get it. And I got news for you, they're not going to get it. They don't, they don't think, you know, what are you doing? You're going to church on the first day of the week. You could be doing anything. You do what with your money? You do what with your precious time? You do what? It's going to look foolish. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. You've got you to be willing to do it because that's just where they are. I read this article. It was way back in 2005 in Hurricane Katrina. My wife got this for me. It was, we were talking about this. And during that hurricane, uh, there were some first responders who were on the part of the Coast Guard, and they were flying in the helicopter, and they were rescuing people. And the first three missions, they saved 89 people, three dogs, and two cats. It was amazing. But the fourth trip surprised them and shocked the entire crew because they were unable to save anyone. This was in 2005, Hurricane Katrina. Why? Because they all refused to board the helicopter. They said, you guys are overreacting. You're a little bit, you know... A little bit too aggressive. We're going to be fine. In fact, they asked instead, just give them water. They're going to be okay. And they begged them, get on the helicopter. You don't understand. This water is not going to recede. There's more levees that are going to break. You guys need And they said, no, no, no. We, you guys are just a little bit overreacting. You're a little bit too radical. If you ask. We're going to be fine. And 1,833 people died. Why? Because Paul the Apostle tells us this in 1 Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's going to look foolish that God would come down here and die for people who would reject him. That's, the, that's so dumb to so many people. Paul even said to the Greeks, they, they stumble over that. And to the Jews, they really stumble over that because it makes no sense. Jesus is supposed to come and overthrow Rome and, 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 and do all of this stuff. Instead, he came. And he lived among us and he died on a cross. And now we know because he died, we can live. 
I said, because he died, we can live. And not just this life, but eternal life. Because the blood of Jesus, come on, give him praise for that, if you believe that. The blood of Jesus forgives our sin. And forgiveness is the key. No one goes to heaven because you're a good person. We go to heaven because we're forgiven. You can't be good enough. You can give all your money to charities. You can build buildings across the planet. Go and volunteer for Convoy of Hope, for the Red Cross and Blue Cross and Green Cross and whatever. Those are great charities and we ought to do them because we're the, we're the children of God. But that doesn't make a, a permanent place for us in heaven. The only thing that gets you and I into heaven is when we humble ourselves and ask God to forgive us of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ. That alone, in Christ alone, I trust in him. Come on, you believe that? But living, living by faith is going to look foolish. But you're in good company. There's this guy, this old story that said there was a guy that walked down the street with one of them you know, sandwich signs and says, I'm a fool for Jesus. And he was on a very busy intersection, and people were going, look at that fool, look at that guy. And he said, I'm a fool for Jesus. But when you walked on the back, it said, but whose fool are you? I used to be a fool for alcohol. I used to be a fool for anything my flesh wanted to do. We, I mean, we'll be a fool for anything. Now I'm a fool for my grandkids. I'll play peekaboo with my little grandson right in the middle of BJ's. I don't care who's looking. I'll be going, peekaboo. Amen. <laughs> Scaring old, you know, what's this guy doing? Peekaboo. I mean, we act silly for anything and everything. At the Super Bowl, people take their shirts off and, and paint themselves red or blue. And that's acceptable. But man, you go to church every Sunday morning on your day off? Oh my gosh. You read the Bible? You really live this outside of church? Yeah. It's going to look foolish to some, but you look through the Bible. Man, I ain't got time to go through all of these, but just look at, look at Noah. Look how foolish Noah looked building a boat when it hasn't even rained yet. He's building a boat saying for 200 years, get on this boat, get on this boat. He looked like a fool until the day it rained. Moses looks like a fool. He's up against the Red Sea. And they said, Moses, you're delivering us out of bondage to bring us to a place like this. I mean, you want us to follow this God and he's going to lead us to a place like this. And God said, this is what I want you to do. Lift and hold out that stick. You know how dumb Moses must have, he's, okay, guys, God's going to set us free. He's going to deliver us and take us to the promised land. Conf just speak to that mountain. It's got to go. Oh, Zerubbabel or whatever. And he goes, and they're like, what was that? What was that? But he did it because God said to do it. And when he stretched out his hand, the Bible says you know the story. That Red Sea began to just divide. <laughs> I mean, I could go on. Joshua marching around the walls. What kind of military strategy is that? March around the enemy seven times. And by the way, don't say nothing. You know why he had to tell him that? Because everyone would be going, this is the dumbest idea I've ever seen. This is so dumb. We confess to what mountain? God ain't doing nothing. Look at Josh. I don't. I never liked Joshua anyway. You know, he wasn't my pick. You know, I like Aaron. Aaron was the one that gave us the golden calf. You know, this guy here. He all, all he wants to do is pray. <laughs> Go on and on and on through the scripture. David in a military fight with a nine foot giant with a slingshot. 
Ruth. Been reading Ruth lately. Here's a woman who was married to a husband, awesome family, and Naomi was the mom. And Naomi and her husband and her two sons moved, and one of her sons married this lady named Ruth. And so it was a happy family. But your Bible, I love it. It's so transparent. It doesn't hide anything. We don't know why, but Naomi's husband just died. And then Naomi's son died. And then Naomi's other son died. So there she is, this woman of faith that loved God and worshiped together with her husband Elkanah and all of them loved God. They were all happy. Tragedy showed up one day. And she looked at him. She's got two widows for daughter-in-laws. And she says, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to go back to my hometown and, and, and just continue to just, you know, do. In fact, don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For That means bitter. For God has turned his back on me. That's how she felt. And one of the daughter-in-laws was like, yeah, peace out. You guys can have you and your God. Because if this is what your God does, I don't want to have nothing to do with him. And the Bible says she went back to her God. She went back to her culture. But Ruth, you know how silly that must have looked for Ruth to lose her husband and be with the woman who lost her husband. And because of that, she probably thinks in those days it was a curse and all of this. But she looks at her and must have looked so foolish and said, Naomi, I don't understand it. But where you go, I'm going to go. And your God's going to be my God. And I'm going to stick this thing out with you until we die. And I love it. And Naomi said, okay, I can't even promise you anything. So she went back, and I love how the Bible says it. Listen, if you're single, listen how God can do this for you. This was a, a woman. She was young, ready to marry, but I love it. The Bible says this, and it just so happened. I love the Bible. It just so happened that Ruth was working in a field of a young, handsome man named Boaz. Just so happened, Boaz was standing there, and the Bible says he watched how she was so faithful, working and showing up, even though everyone else thought she was silly, everything else thought she was foolish, and he even said, who is this? And they go, oh, that's that Moabite woman that's with Naomi, the other widow. And what are they doing here? They're still serving God. They're still with God's people. And the Bible says that's the very thing is what attracted Boaz to her. But other people thought she was foolish, and you know the story. There's a little Marvin Gaye playing in the background. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do it. We got visitors today. Amen. That hasn't stopped me before. No, I'm just kidding. They got together. They got married. They had a child. The child grew up, had another child. That child grew up, had another child. That child grew up and had another child. And they named him David, who would become the king of Israel. Come on, somebody. All because she said, I know it looks foolish. I know I don't even understand it, but I'm going to stay faithful to my God. I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. I'm going to pray for my kids when they're sick. I'm going to lay hands on them when they're sick. What if they don't get healed? What if they do? You got to be willing to look foolish. All right, now we're getting to the message. <laughs> I'm going to go fast. Now we get to Benaniah. Benaniah, guys, is such a great example for so many men because he's the only warrior Listen, he's the only warrior listed in David's mighty men who was also a priest. So that means he would carry a sword one day 
And then he would also know how to put on the ephod the other day, which was a way to pray. Can I awaken the greatness in our men for the next 10 minutes? Come on, ladies, say, come on, preach. Tell the person next to you, he needs to preach for one more hour. Go ahead, I dare you to say it. Need to awaken the greatness in our men. Because, you know, our society, let me tell you, men, we're naturally, you know, carrying the sword is, being, is about protecting. And the reason why he was killing the lion, for the, what was he killing the lion for? Because in those days, in the villages, they would, they would dig pits all around the village to keep predators from coming into the village. Because these lions would come and they'd eat their livestock or even worse. But the thing is, when a lion got that close and wasn't afraid of the village no more, they were dangerous. So even if they got into a pit, you couldn't release them because they'd come back. We do the same thing in, our, in America with, with animals and stuff. Not getting into all of that, I'm just telling you what happened. Here's the thing. Somebody's got to get down there in that pit. And Benaniah was said, I'm going to get in that pit. Why? Because he's a natural protector. And guys, that's what God has given us. Not that women don't protect because mamas can protect too. You ever hear mama bears? Yes, sir. You see them at every soccer game. You dumb coach. You know what I'm saying? I don't even understand this game, but put my baby in. <laughs> but men, it's natural for, per- I don't care what Hollywood says. If someone breaks in your house at two o'clock in the morning, men, you better not go, honey, did you hear that? <laughs> I don't care what Hollywood says. <laughs> if somebody breaks in your house in the middle of the night, you better get up and go to the door, right, Phil? Phil's got my back, Amen with the Holy Ghost and two other friends, Smith and Wesson. Come on, somebody. You're going to be at that door. Now, listen, women, and you know what happens in reality? If someone's at the door at 2 o'clock, you're going to go, men. You're going to get them go. You better go. Mama's going to go right to those kids and protect those kids. That is a, I don't care what Hollywood says, that's what you're going to do. Am I right or am I right? I'm saying who put that in you? That was God. It's a natural instinct. And as you get saved, let me tell you something. What we'll also have in the whole, the Bible says the Holy Spirit has poured out in your hearts the love of God. You will also, all of us believers will have the ability to be compassionate against people that used to drive you crazy. The problem is we got to awaken that in us. Because everybody works with somebody and knows somebody that you just want to have the spirit of slap in Jesus' name. But I'm telling you, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta awaken these things in your heart. So if we would talk to Benaniah, and we would say, Benaniah, how do you do this? He would say this. My last point. He would say, if you want to awaken faith in you, I got it somewhere in here. You must be willing to face your lion. You gotta be willing to face your lion. You gotta be willing to face your lion. Let me give you some lions. I'm going to start to close. What does that mean? He would say, if you want to awaken the greatness, not just our men, but everybody. Here, here listen, you got to face some lions. You want to go from faith to great faith, you got to face from lions. The first one is a lion of fear. Some of you really battle a lion of fear. Let me give you some lions today. There's three of them real quick. One of them is a lion of fear. you got to face your fears. Every, I know Benaniah wasn't looking forward to jumping in that pit with that lion, but he knew his family was on the line. Noah, Ruth, Joshua, Jesus, the early church was hiding when Jesus died, but when they received the power of the Holy Spirit, they, were, they turned Rome upside down, but they had to face their fears. You're going to be afraid, but you go anyway. 
You're going to be afraid. I love what the Passion Translation says of this famous scripture, 2 Timothy. For God will never give you the spirit of fear. I love that. He will never give you the spirit of fear. If you feel fearful about doing anything God has called you to do, this scripture says that's not from God. If God is telling you to step out in fear, and in, in this case, we usually preach this about stepping out, stepping out of the boat, stepping out and doing faith, but let me just tell you what we're to stay true to the context. Some of us just need to step in to the pit and face that fear. That means step into God a little more. Not about starting another business or whatever. It might be, but you, okay, let me say this also. Before you jump in a pit with a line, you need to get confirmation and counsel in Jesus' name. Amen. Whatever God is speaking to your heart, you need to make sure you get confirmation on it. But facing your fear. There are only two fears that we're born with. My little grandson, and we just got a brand new baby girl, granddaughter Carolina Grace. She's only a few weeks old. And as soon as both of them were born, uh, the doctors take them right down for a hearing test. That's like the first test they give them. And it's in every time, one of the ways that they can tell if their hearing is good is how they respond to loud noises. Why? Because that is one of the only two fears that you're born with. One is the loud noises. The other one is the fear of falling. Those are the only fears that God put in us. All other fears are learned behaviors, which means you can unlearn them. And this scripture says it. That's why firefighters are able to run into a building when everything else is coming down. They've learned to ignore their senses for the greater good and to jump in there. I'm telling you that your fire, your building that God wants you to run, maybe that coworker that's going through a divorce or a, or a physical illness that's on the brink of suicide or depression, and you're running into a building is them walking up to them and telling them about the love of God. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't even got to know the whole Bible. All you got to know is a little bit of what I'm telling you today is that Jesus died for them. He has a plan for their life. And watch God begin to work, saying, that's all I need. You got to face that fear. Another line is, uh, is excuses. I'm trying to hurry. Oh, hallelujah. Lion of excuses. The Bible says in Proverbs that a lazy person says, there's a lion in the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. What this story says is that a person that really don't want to do something, don't want to do it anyway, would just make something up and go, I can't go to work because there's a lion out there somewhere. That's what the proverb is saying. In other words, sometimes we, we, we know what God's calling us to do. We know God is, is wanting us to go to that next level, you know, begin to pray over our kids, whatever it may be, but we make excuses. I work too much. I, I, I can't do it because of this. I'm telling you, you've got to face that excuse, brother. I love what Joyce Meyer says. Excuses are reasons stuffed with a lie. <laughs> Come on, Joyce. They're excuses with reasons stuffed with a lie. You really could move some things around. You really could, you know, be more of a priest of your home. Let me tell you something, ladies, if you really got a husband that you know he's got potential, but, you know doesn't really seem to be able to do that kind of stuff, maybe next time you're not feeling well, walk up to him and ask him to pray for you. Say, how do you pray for me? I'm not feeling good. I don't make a big deal about it or not. Let him pray. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's these little things like this that God will begin to build spiritual, strong families. 
Because what we need now more than ever is not just families that go to church and sit in the pew for an hour and a half and hear some inspiring message for something that will rattle us and shake us and challenge us to be more like Christ so he can bring healing into our family and impact the community. Well, I'm glad I came to church today. And the last line is a line of sin. Can I have a half hour? I'm telling you, this is one that keeps so many of us, we're entangled in sin. We're entangled in bad habits and things that we just don't want to let go. You know this message. You know everything I've said so far. And you amen me every week. But you know the devil's got a hold of you and you've kind of let him into your life and, and you've held on to that thing. I'm telling you, it's time in 2024 to let it go. And let God begin to use you. It takes courage to let that thing go. Hebrews 12.1 says, let us throw aside every weight in the sin which so easily entangles us. Worship team, won't you come? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's telling us, hey, let go of some of those weights and sins. And, and let God use you more. Hallelujah. Benaiah would tell you, you got to face these lions. He was willing to do it. And if you keep reading in 2 Samuel, it says that David heard about it and promoted him to his private guard. He wasn't a part of the top three, but he was David's private guard. I'm telling you, there is promotion on the other side of our sin, on the other side of our excuses, and on the other side of our fear. I can tell you, I sat in our church for two years and I was scared to death to join anything. And pastor would bring it out and you know, this and that. And finally, I said, let's get involved, honey. Melinda got involved with girls ministry, which was called Mission Nets in those days. And we haven't looked back. And it's the best thing ever to just get over that hump. I begin to share my faith at work. Wearing a t-shirt was nothing. It doesn't matter what shirt you wear. Just let that light begin to shine. God begin to use it. I saw people get saved. Amen. Let's stand to our feet right now as I close us out in prayer. This entire series has been about God calling us to be bold and courageous. And I just want to ask you, are you going to answer that call? We looked at Adino, how to overcome overwhelming odds. We learned how to overcome weariness, how to be faithful with the few. Well, today, will you allow God to stir the greatness in you? willing to face your fears you're willing to look foolish for God if that's what it takes because I've also learned that every time someone looked foolish it wasn't long after that the same people that thought they were fools ended up coming <laughs> well, LaDonna and I were just talking about some of our friends who we grew up with and you, we went down the list and it's sad many of them are not even here right now I had a friend that was shot you know, nine times but he made it Another friend was only shot once and he died, overdosed. And another guy was shot four or five. I mean, we just went down the list and we looked at each other and we said, what a miracle it is for us to be standing in church. Well, you know what? We had, a, we had to face some lions. It's okay. I'm going to come out. I'm going to come after you, God, everything you have. I didn't expect to be a pastor. I'm going to be for real with you right now. You don't know what God to do. 
And they have you go to South Africa and build a, a steel structure in a hundred degree heat. You know what? I'd go back next week if the Lord let me. Amen. There ain't no blessing like doing something great for God. You ask those firefighters, would you go back in that building again? They would say yes in a minute. In fact, I read one article where they had to restrain some of those firefighters on 9-11 because they were, they were breathing in smoke and they said, no, I gotta go. I keep hearing the sound. I just wonder if God's people today will have that kind of tenacity to live out loud and to live for God and put down the things that entangle us, our little offenses and our little quirks and hang-ups. I don't like that church. They got screens up there. So what? I don't know, I just said that. I don't know. We get hung up over the silliest things. God is saying, I want to use you to save your kids. I want to use you to save your family. So hallelujah, I just want to shake and stir our hearts right now. You just close your eyes by your heads in this place and ask our altar team to come. And we do this every week. Our altar team comes every week and prays. And they're in the altars ready to pray with you. If you've got to call, if you've got to go see a doctor this week or you've got a family issue, and I'm going to dismiss here in a minute and you can come. But I want to right now ask if you are here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, just listen to me with your eyes closed. Those of you that are at home, listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's just a religious guy, but you really haven't surrendered your heart to him, but you want to do that today. This would be a great day for you to say yes to Jesus. I just wonder if you want to be bold enough to raise your hand and say, pray for me today. If that's you, will you just lift your hand and say, pray for me today, Pastor Eddie. Amen. Hands in the back, back there, back there. Two, three, four. Come on, lift your hand up high. Say, pray for me. Five, six. Pray for me today. I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Those of you that are at home, say, pray for me. I'm ready to surrender my life. Okay, you can put them down. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you to come when everybody else comes, and you can pray, and our team's going to lead you in the sinner's prayer. They're going to pray for you. But I want to shake the Christians, those of you that know the Lord. How many would say, yes, you're going to let God awaken you to great faith? How many would say, there's more in me, Pastor Eddie. There's more I can do for God. In this message, I'm going to respond with saying, I'm going to do more. If that's you, raise your hand. I want you to see, I want God to see it, amen. Because he's going to speak to you and tell you what it is. He's going to tell you what lion has been standing in your room. Only he can do it, I don't know. Some of you, you're afraid to look foolish and you would share your faith, man. Look foolish for, for Jesus, you'll be surprised. It's not that foolish at all. Because I was telling Don, now we got friends that's coming to us, they will you pray for me? The ones that did survive, they're on drugs, they're trying to come out of it, and they come to us. So we don't look that foolish now. And we're praying for them, and God's going to bring deliverance to their life. So I'm going to pray for those that says yes to greater faith, and then I'm going to dismiss this, and those of you that want to come are going to come and need to come to get prayer, individual prayer. So lift your hands to the Lord if you're willing for God to awaken that greatness in you. I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Every uplifted hand and everyone online that is saying, yes, God, use me, Lord. This is a different year. I want to do greater things for you this year than I did last year. Oh, God, thank you for these stories that you have saved in the Bible. I want to overcome weariness. I want to overcome overwhelming odds. I want to face my lion head on. Use me today. Father, I pray with every uplifted hand that your Holy Spirit would come upon your people today. Stir something in them, oh God, that they would want to come after you with all of them. They're willing to take greater risks. They're willing to look foolish. They're willing to face their lion, oh God, 
and you can bring a great victory in their family and in their life. I pray that in Jesus' name. Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you receive some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Life, that every time you tune in, that God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of his presence, his promises, and all people, and you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.